Please open them up with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We'll be looking at a number of passages in Galatians tonight. I'll also quote from some other places, but I think if you're anchored there in Galatians, that'll be where most of our passages come from. Tonight, I I just want to uh, talk to you about principles of grace. Some of this may be a little bit in review of some of the things we've looked at over these last couple of months, but some of it, I think, fresh as well. And this is not all that we, of the principles that we've looked at, but kind of a, just some closing thoughts on the subject of grace. And one of the things that I want to remind you tonight about grace is that grace is an all-or-nothing proposition. It is an either-or. In other words, either you are saved by grace or you are saved by some work or effort of righteousness on your own. You are not saved by grace and works. It's either all grace or none at all. It's either all works or none at all. So grace doesn't give us kind of this middle ground. Okay, here's, here's just enough grace to kind of uh, mix in with your effort and righteousness and self-works. And together, if you, if you do really well, uh, you find just the right combination to be right with God, to be just before God. No, grace is an all or nothing. There is no righteousness apart from the righteousness that is given to you in Jesus Christ. The self-righteousness, the righteousness of ourselves, our own works, our own efforts, the Bible says that is as filthy rags. It is worthless before a holy and awesome and pure God. He's looking for something that you and I do not have in ourselves, and so he gives it to us through grace. Look with me, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul encouraging this church in Galatia. This was a church that was struggling over this doctrine. They'd been saved by grace, but but then they were beginning to kind of get back into the idea that, well, maybe there are some works that we should do. And and there were some teachers that were coming and telling them that they needed to complement grace with works. And Paul now writes very clearly, very strongly, and uh, some of these words almost uh, very, very powerful. Read with or follow with me, chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So you know the context here. This church, uh, Gentiles, had come to faith in Jesus Christ. But some of the Jewish Christians had kind of come in behind Paul and were kind of bringing in, trying to bring in some kind of a Christian uh, uh, Jewish mix. You know, well, it's good that you received Christ, but listen, you also need to be circumcised. There are also certain dietary restraints, certain days you have to uh, honor. You have to also try and keep as much of the law as you can. And here are some of the most important points that you must keep. And, and that, along with your faith in Christ, will make you right and the people of God. And Paul says, no way, it's all or nothing. If you, if you turn to now to the law, 
If you now look to somehow improve your status with God through some effort of working the law, then you are going to miss the righteousness that has been given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. Because here's what happens. Once you take your eyes off of Jesus and start putting them on some other program, you're you're no longer trusting Christ. Jesus is not enough anymore. The faith that you have in Christ is now not the kind of faith that appropriates His righteousness. Your faith is in something else. Oh, maybe you want, you think you need Jesus too, but something else added, and that defeats the very doctrine of grace. Pretty powerful what he says there in verse 2. If you get circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And this is exactly what he's saying. At the moment you look to circumcision, you know, this outward sign that was given to the children of Israel to mark them as God's people, if you begin to look at that and somehow bringing you into the family of God, then you have missed the very essence of what Christ came to accomplish. He came to fulfill all of it. He came to give you the very best of righteousness, the righteousness of God. And it cannot be improved on. If you seek right standing with God through your own religious efforts, Christ will profit you nothing, because your faith is no longer in Christ alone. And you will have missed the very righteousness found in Him through faith. Look at verse 3. If you're going to do this part of the law, he says, you're going to become a debtor to keep the whole law. In other words, you can't just pick and choose which parts of the law that you want to now kind of add to your, your spiritual life, your religious works, because the Bible teaches that the only way to be righteous, if you're going to be righteous by law, is to keep all of it, not just some of it. You may keep nine of the Ten Commandments your whole life. You may keep all of them right up to the end of your life. And then somebody on the freeway cuts you off and you lose your temper and you, you end up in a fatal accident. Guess what? You're a sinner. You just failed the whole law. The whole, you're guilty before the law, even if you fail in one part of it, even in one moment, one lapse. Of course, we all break the law much more often than that, don't we? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. And the law was never intended to, to give us kind of this standard that we would be able to live up to, but rather it would be to open our eyes and let us realize that we fall short of God's standard. How desperate we are for a Savior who will deliver us. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. James 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So what's the point of circumcision, he would say to this church in Galatians? What's the point of keeping that one part of the law when you know that you've broken and are breaking other parts of the law? You're guilty of the law and going through these motions of religion will not help you. Verse 4, he says, you, will, you have become estranged, separated from Christ, fallen from grace. You see, grace is all or nothing. Either you are saved by grace and your confidence and your trust is in the grace of God, or you fall from that grace the moment you begin to look to put your confidence and trust somewhere else. We have a tendency to do this. We actually have, I think, kind of we're bent to lean into this kind of thing. We, we don't even always consciously think about it, but in our minds we, we feel like this was a good week. I think God's pretty happy with me this week. 
But last week, boy, but last week was bad. And I'm, I, that's why I didn't pray at all last week. I was pretty sure God didn't even want to see me last week. And we imagine that our, that our relationship with God, our right standing with God, kind of rises and falls on how things are going, how we're doing. Isn't that true? I mean, come on. Aren't there times when you think, oh man, I can't pray right now, but if I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to church tonight, I'm gonna get up and read a couple chapter, extra chapters tomorrow morning, and then I'm gonna come in and pray. And then I think, you know, kind of clean my act up, get it together before I just come into the Lord. Make sure, let Him know that I'm kind of, I'm, I'm back on track. And we imagine that God is, you know, kind of manipulated this way by, we, we're putting our confidence in something other than the grace of God that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Are you any more right standing before God uh, in one moment of your life than any other moment of your life? If the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to you freely by grace through your faith and trust in Jesus, can you ever do better? Can you ever improve on that? You can't. And, And not only that, but even when you stumble, and we do, You can't lose that standing either. Your salvation is not that fragile. Your standing with God is not that fickle. God loves you. And when you come to faith in Christ, in that moment you put your trust in grace, the grace of God imparts to you the fullness of right standing with Him. The fullness of Jesus Christ has been credited to your account. And to depart from that, is to fall from grace. He goes on to say that really the most important thing now is walking in that faith and working it out through love. Loving relationship with Him, serving Him out of love, not out of works or religion. Loving one another as the Spirit of God now fills your heart and life. Grace, this doctrine... This understanding of grace will bring persecution to your life. Paul was persecuted for this doctrine because the religious Jews didn't like that. They didn't want this idea of God kind of just Xing out their their ideas of religion and the things that they were so particular about. And here's here's why this doctrine of grace brings persecution, because it demands a very exclusive means by which you can have right relationship with God. In other words, God says, there's only one way that I will accept you, and it is through the grace that I offer by Jesus Christ. And that's very narrow, that's very restrictive, and people don't like that. Have you noticed that even in the world today, people don't like that kind of narrow-minded Christian view. There's many ways to God they would like to believe. Just the, the grace of Jesus, that can't be the only way. There must be other means by which we can find our own way to relationship with God. And not only that, I'm a good person. I have my own righteousness to depend on. I do well, I'm not that bad, I'm better than most, and, you know, in the end, I think I, I, my scale will weigh out, I was, you know, I was a pretty good guy. That's trusting in your own works, isn't it? That's trusting in your own righteousness. And that's why when you tell somebody, listen, your righteousness is worthless, the only way you can know God, the only way you can have a relationship and right standing with God is through the grace, the free gift that God has offered to you through faith in Jesus Christ. People recoil at that. They don't like that. That's too restrictive. That kind of cuts them out. But that is the power of the gospel. 
That is the doctrine of grace. It is all or nothing. It requires humility. It requires laying down your own claims and embracing this wonderful gift that he gives to us in Jesus Christ. Second principle tonight that I'd like you to consider on this idea of grace is that grace causes all of us to be equal. All of us are equal before God at the cross. None better than the other. We're all just sinners needing and saved by grace. Look with me there. You're in Galatians. Look back to chapter 3 and look at verse 26 with me. Again, this whole book of Galatians really is Paul's doctrinal statement on grace, trying to uh, persuade this church that was wrestling and stumbling in this doctrine. And he, he's got these, these little tidbits throughout the, throughout the epistle. And here we see in Galatians 3, look with me, verse 26. For you, all, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor is there neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There are no second-class Christians in the family of God. All of us are sinners. All of us come to relationship with God through grace that comes as we believe in the offer of Jesus Christ. So, where's the boasting? How can we boast one against the other? Well, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, me too. You know, that's all we all are, is sinners saved by the grace of God. A couple of other passages you don't need to turn, but remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grace is the great equalizer in our lives. There is no room for boasting. There is no claim. There is no spiritual uh, loftiness. We're all just sinners saved by grace. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God in my life. So where would we be apart from the grace of God? We can't compare or measure ourselves one with another. That's not wise. Because all of us are saved through the grace. And none of us have contributed to that work. You don't, don't turn, but Galatians 6.14 says, Paul, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no boasting, there is no exclusive rights, there is no you know, super-Christian. We are all equal because of the grace of God. And I would say this, we need to watch out for those who would claim any kind of elite or special status in relationship with God. That's what Paul is talking about here, these Judaizers, these men that were coming in claiming to be the more mature you know, the, the sons of Abraham, the, the real biological offspring of Abraham. We know, we know the law. You need to listen to us. We have elite understanding and, and kind of, uh, you know, exclusive uh, information. And, and you need to bring this and incorporate this into your faith if you really want to, to do well with God. That's the kind of mindset that cults use. They offer some kind of exclusive elite understanding of passages 
that they misinterpret or doctrine that they twist. And they make you feel as though unless you are in with them, you're not really in at all. And you need to come into our exclusive group. And oftentimes, it is something that is works-based. You end up back on that same treadmill of trying to keep up religiously, trying to you know make it uh, with God, and now you're in with the elite, and boy, you really got to work hard with them to do well and to be as... Uh, you know, spiritual as them. And this kind of thinking, it's often appealing because we want to kind of work and contribute to it. We, we have this desire to kind of self-manage our, our walk with Him. And we want to be able to kind of score points and get ahead. And, and now I'm really doing well. And that's that bondage of religion. And it, it will turn into bondage. And Paul warns against this in, in to the Galatians. He says in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 17, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. This is exactly what was going on in the church in Galatia. They want to exclude you so that you may be zealous for them. In other words, they want to close you out from access to God unless you come through them. Come and learn it our way. Come and do it in our manner. And even, I would say, you know, even in what we would not consider cult organizations, even if we're not careful, that can even happen in, you know, just church fellowships. You begin to feel that, you know, we have like this elite uh, walk with God. And, and, and when, you, when people leave the fellowship, they're made to feel like, wow, you really miss God. You really, you know, okay, you know, good riddance. We're going to shake the dust off our off our feet with you you're you know we're done with you if you don't if you you need to be in our church you need to be baptized you know in our format you need to be baptized a certain way and we have these restrictions and you need to you know and and, and if you don't do it our way then you're out and they want to exclude you not so that you'll be zealous for god but that you would be zealous for them so that they would have some kind of connection over your faith and this is why it's important to to allow the spirit of god to lead you you know, there are even churches that, you know, they really get upset when somebody leaves their fellowship. Now, nobody wants, you know, we're not hoping that church, our church is going to be growing smaller, right? We're not, can't wait for some of you guys to leave, you know. We want you to come. We want you to be a part of the family that God has, is putting together here. We hope that God is going to continue to bring others and continue to add to our numbers as He desires. But listen, it may be that God has something else for you. I want you to be where you can grow in your walk with the Lord. I want you to be in a place where you're going to flourish spiritually. I'd love for it to be here. And we're doing our best to try and provide the right church environment for that to take place. But clearly, you know, this isn't the only church in the San Gabriel Valley. It's, it's just one of many. And it may be, and some of you are here because you've migrated from other fellowships. Maybe we were closer to where you live. Or, you know, maybe a friend started going here and so you've come along. And then this has just kind of become the right fit for you. And that's something that the Holy Spirit has to work and orchestrate in every heart. God places the sheep in the right places that He wants them shepherded. And we need to hold on to our our, you know, our flock, as my pastor that sent me out, he says, I, I, Lord told me to hold all the sheep with hands like this. Not like this, but like this. Lord, they're yours. 
You take them, you'll bring some, you'll, you'll take some. It, it's your flock, it's your people. We want people to be planted where they'll grow, where they'll do well spiritually. Now, of course, there would be some fellowships if you were getting into a cultish situation and you were getting derailed. Well, we'd be very concerned. But if you're going to another Bible teaching, you know, uh, evangelical Christian fellowship where you feel called, you know, you go with our blessing. We, we pray that God will lead you and that the Spirit of God will lead you. And for those that God brings here, we're, we're grateful that he's bringing and, and, and filling the work that he's doing here. But that's really the right attitude, and that's what Paul is trying to say. Don't, go, don't get back under this bondage. God set you free. You're, in, you're free in Christ. You don't need these guys coming in and telling you what you need to add to your faith, some religious ritual to try and get you into their program. Don't fall for that. Enjoy the grace of God. Walk in the freedom and the goodness and the mercy of God. Enjoy the fellowship that He brings you into and plants you. Number three, grace to be sons and daughters. Yes, the grace of God actually brings you into the family of God. It causes us all of, all of us to be equal. There's no boasting before Him but we are also transformed into into the children of God. You're there in Galatians. Look with me in chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul wants, again, to remind these believers that God is not looking for your religious works, kind of like um, a master directing a slave. Do this, do that, do this, do that. God is looking for a relationship as if a father would to a son or to a daughter. You've been brought into something far better than a checklist of religious works. You've been brought into the family of God. This is what grace accomplishes. It actually brings us, adopts us into God's family. You don't need to turn, but again, let me remind you of Romans eight fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's that word again, same phrase that he used in Galatians, Abba, Father. You're no longer slaves. You're no longer brought into some yoke of bondage, some regiment of religion. But now you are sons and daughters of the living God. And the very Spirit of God within you cries out to God, Abba, Daddy. It is a term of endearment. It is, it is a term of close fellowship. Not some distant, fearful, awesome God somewhere out in the universe whom you dare uh, speak to or even raise your eye to. No, call on Him as your Father. Come to Him in a relationship that is intimate and personal. He is a loving Father, no longer a spirit of fear, no longer a spirit of bondage. 
I've shared, shared this with you before. I, I just want to remind you, you know, for many years in my own life, even though I had become a Christian and I was walking with the Lord, I, I still didn't really understand this dynamic of relationship with Him. And I, I really thought that the Lord was kind of perpetually displeased with me. I mean, why wouldn't He be? I was missing the mark so often. I was falling short so regularly. I was making promises and vows that I couldn't keep. And I just imagined the Lord was just on a, just frustrated with me, tolerating me. You again. Oh, what is it this time? What, what promises are you going to make to me this time? Oh, God, I'm sorry. I know I blew but I'm really going to try better. I'm going to try. And I was so sincere, but I just imagined, I had that idea in my mind that, you know, God was just regularly displeased because I was so, you know, imperfect. And guess what? I'm still really imperfect. <laughs> but I've learned something about God's love for me. And I've learned something about being a child of God. I've learned something about being a father myself. And I've learned something about the love of a father. And I've learned something about how God feels toward me. And listen, I'm an imperfect father. The Bible says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father. You know, I had a daughter that got married uh, this past, what was it, July? Was it July? Yeah, July 29th. So just not even, not even, just a month ago. And you know how weddings are. There's so much planning. There's so much, you know, drama that goes into the, the planning of a wedding. And, and, you know, the day finally came. And it was, let me tell you, it was, it was stressful. I was so nervous. Everybody was nervous. We were worn out. It was just all the franticness and last-minute problems of weddings. And so the time comes, and you know, it's now it's time for me and my daughter Jessica. To, um, it's time for me to walk her down the aisle, and we're hidden. It's not in this open area, so we're hidden back behind this place. And the coordinator's getting us positioned. Nobody can see us. You know, she finally gets us positioned, and she says, "Okay, Jessica, you can take your father's arm." And so I put my arm out, and she took it, and she just squeezed it tight, like, "Oh man, this is it." <laughs> And no words were spoken, but I could feel it. You know, Dad, I'm glad I have you here right now. I'm glad you're, you're with me to take me through this, these final steps. And I got to tell you, as a father, in that moment, you know, every, every memory of the last, you know, 24 years just flooded my head and mind. And, and my love for this little girl was just so strong. And so just that little squeeze on my arm just meant everything to me. And that I was so, so privileged to be able to walk her down and give her in marriage. Now, I'm, I'm just an earthly, faulty father. But I know, I have God, it's as if God has hardwired something in us to, to feel very deeply for our children. And, and, and I think that God is trying to say something about His nature and who He is. That's why He likens Himself to a father. Now, I know that many of us have maybe bad examples of fathers. I have a, my father was a good father. I have a good example. Some of you do not have good examples. Some of you may not even have relationship with your father. So it is a shame that we don't, not everyone has that kind of earthly relationship that they can kind of use to help them understand better the relationship that God has. But 
I believe that even in that case, the Spirit and the grace of God are able to communicate something to you. That He really does love you as the perfect and holy Father. And He has such a care for you. My boys today, I've got two sons, two girls, two boys. The girls, just, uh, the oldest is married, then my next one, like I said, the younger one just got married. Now I've got two sons, unmarried. One's engaged, he's going to be married in September. And, uh, but anyway, I was at home getting ready for tonight's study and working on, on these passages and so forth. And, and um, my older son, he's, he's just kind of, he's engaged and he's trying to get something going. He's, we've, he's got a little business he's, he's going with. And he just wanted to call me because he got an account. Dad, hey, I got that account I was telling you about, you know. Oh, cool, son, that's great. You know, yeah, yeah, just checking in. Okay, good. You know, and then a couple hours later, my other son calls me, Dad, Dad, hey, uh, I'm, I just want you to know, it's twilight and I'm going out to play golf on a, this really cheap raid. I just want to let you know, like, you know, let, get me a little jealous, you know. <laughs> I won't be in church tonight, Dad. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, as I, of course, I'm preparing this and I'm thinking, you know, Lord, this is it. I mean, this is, I love that. I love that. You know, my boy's just checking in with me. It's touching base, you know. Not, a, not this fearful relationship of dread and worry and anxiety, but just, you know, checking in and letting, letting me know what they're doing and what they're up to. And so I think of, I think of the Lord, and I, and, I, and I sense that heart from God. You know, He just wants to hear from us. You know, that blessed me. That blessed my heart to hear from my boys today. Just checking in. And I think that God desires that kind of relationship with you and I. This is what grace is about. Grace makes this kind of fellowship available to you and I with the Lord. You don't have to come with the dread of guilt. You don't have to come with the shame of your own shortcomings and your, your imperfections. Because we all have them. But God has made a way by grace to cover those things. Why? Because He wants to have a relationship with you and me that is unfettered, un, undistracted, un, uh, you know, burdened with sin. God has done this so that you and I might be His children. I quote Pastor Chuck here out of his book, Why Grace Changes Everything. God desires that our time with Him be relaxing and restoring to our hearts. He wants us to feel at home with Him and to be free and open in our relationship. Is that the way you relate to the Lord? Is that the sense that you have in your heart with God? Open and refreshing and, and welcome. And Him wanting to hear from you. Hey, check in with me. Let me know what's going on. Of course, He knows everything. But to hear your heart and to commune with Him. And to allow Him to touch you through the day and to speak in, in a word of encouragement into your heart. He is a perfect, loving Father. He desires us to relate to Him in that closest kind of fellowship, that intimacy to know His love and His care for you. Abba, Daddy. This is what the Spirit of God looks to work into our hearts because of grace. Number four, another principle of grace is that it gives us peace and confidence with God. Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We've been justified. 
We're no longer guilty before the Lord. Do you understand that? God's not angry with you. God's not upset with you. God's not just waiting to get his hands on you. God has justified you in Christ. You are innocent before him. Your sins are forgiven. And God has given you the very righteousness of Jesus. And this gives us great confidence. This also gives us access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand before God in grace. And that grace is sufficient. If you're standing, if you're wanting to stand before God in anything else, you're going to be disappointed. You see, when you feel that, you know, intrepidation, when you feel that sense of not being able to stand before the Lord, you are really judging your relationship with Him based on your own works, your own worthiness. You are in the flesh. You are actually putting your confidence in your ability to to somehow be worthy to stand before a holy God. Give up on that idea. You will never be worthy of that place. You can only know that place by the grace of God that has been given freely to you. Jesus did not die on that cross so that God could then hold back His grace and just dole it out a little bit. Jesus died on that cross for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... God is looking to be gracious. God is inviting you to a relationship of mercy and grace. It is on God's heart. God delights in mercy. We have peace because we stand in grace and nothing else. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we come? Boldly. That just sounds crazy. Boldly? Just come Just come boldly. I mean, that's the way my boys come in, and when they need something from me, they come boldly. Get out of here. Don't leave, leave me alone right now. I'm, you know, no, dad, 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 come on. Give me the debit card. <laughs> you know, they have a confidence. You know, they know that ultimately I'm going to, you know, help them. They're my boys. I'm going to, you know, what do you need? What's going on? And so the the Word of God says, hey, come boldly. God has made this access. You can have confidence to come to Him. You're at peace with God. You and God are not at war. God is not your enemy. He's your Father. He loves you. He invites you to come and embrace Him and come. And and notice what it says. I quote it again, Hebrews 4. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace (laughs) that we may obtain Mercy. Praise the Lord. i got to be honest. Often when I come to God, that's what I need. (laughs) I need mercy. Didn't Jesus say when teaching His disciples to pray on a daily basis, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Don't you think the Lord knows that you and I are still imperfect and that we're going to need a... ongoing supply of mercy and grace. God is sufficient in the grace and mercy category. He's not run out. He's not low on mercy. Come boldly. That comes with a confidence that you might obtain mercy. 
and find grace to help in time of need. You have confident access to God. His mercies are new every morning. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, you know, we've been through this series now for weeks. This is not some license to live, you know, without any sense of responsibility. We're not talking about some free reign of sin in your life. We're talking about those that really want to love the Lord and want to walk with Him, but they know and recognize that they're weak and that they need His grace. And that really is the truth for all who walk with Him. We need His grace. We need His mercy. And my my point is, it's available to you. You can have peace tonight, and you can come with confidence. Finally tonight, the last principle I want to speak to you about is the one responsibility that we have. We have but one responsibility in this walk of grace. It is to believe in His promise. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to contribute. But you must believe that God has done this for you. He has done everything for you. And he simply wants you to believe and receive his grace. He's not asking you to pray more. He's not asking you to give more, to be at church more, to serve more, to read your Bible more. Now, God will produce those desires and those those fruits will emerge and become a part of your life and Christian journey as you grow in relationship with him. But God is not requiring any of that from you. I don't need to be up here telling you what you need to do and what you must stop doing, what you need to do. I need to tell you, listen, God loves you. Come and respond to Him. Receive this grace that He has for you and these other avenue, these other areas of your life will come into line with the fruit that God produces in your life. It's a relationship of love, not a burden of religion. To believe in His promise. Believe it and receive it. I want to quote you and I'll close here tonight. It's kind of the last page here in this book entitled, Why Grace Changes Everything. And again, this is just kind of a little recap, a little highlight highlight reel of our study. Your one duty. God has given you but one simple responsibility to believe in His promise. You can enjoy the blessing of a relationship with God even though you may not pray enough or give enough or sacrifice enough because of your faith in what God has already done for you. God made Jesus to be sin for you, that you might be made the righteousness of God through him. Jesus imparts to you his righteousness when you simply place your faith and trust in the work he has done for you. His work is all of grace. Paul opened his letter to the Galatians with the salutation, Grace be to you. He closed it with, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. His benediction takes on a rich depth of meaning, meaning in light of the letter's sharp focus on the glorious grace of God. The grace of Jesus, not the law of Moses, was the Galatians' greatest need, to walk in the power of his spirit not the vain efforts of the flesh, was their calling. May you stand without wavering for the grace of Jesus Christ. 
May you not be moved by the deceptive desire to please men. May you be so, may you be so heavenly minded that you are of the greatest earthly good. Holding out the word of life is an increasing, in an increasingly dark and hopeless world. And may you glory this day in what Jesus has done for you and in that alone. That's my prayer for us tonight, that the grace of God would take on such a prominent role in our walk and relationship with Him, that it would become of such clear focus for you and your understanding, that the temptations of religion and works and the condemnation of sin and falling short would really become a thing of the past. Now, there's much to learn in our relationship with God. There's much of a growing and a maturing and a, and a changing that takes place in our journey. And this is not to, to somehow say that none of that matters. All of it matters. But the relationship itself, it must be rooted and founded on this foundation. You are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful theme of grace. Lord, more than just the theme of it, we thank you for the power of it in our lives. Lord, I'm thinking of my own life and how this understanding of grace has really became revolutionary in my own Christian journey. It really began to transform my walk. It opened up my whole life to a, to a relationship that, that was so new and so fresh and so real that it began to transform everything about me. Lord, I didn't find that this understanding of grace caused me to be more sinful or careless in my lifestyle. I found rather that this revelation of grace caused me to fall all the more in love with you and became even more vibrant in my desire to live for you. I believe, Lord, that that is the message that you had for us this summer, that we would hear the message of grace and that the grace of God would transform our hearts and minds afresh and anew. And I do pray, Lord, that all that are here tonight, that your word is ministering to them on this subject. Lord, every heart right now here tonight, I know that each one, there are areas where we wrestle. There are areas where we wonder, where we doubt. There are concerns. There are shortcomings. There are failings. And I pray that you would meet that heart tonight, Lord, with your spirit and with this word, that you love them. And that your grace is sufficient. And that you are inviting them even now to come. Come boldly. Come boldly to this throne of grace and receive mercy. Receive the love and the forgiveness that God has. Let him meet you with his grace even now. And Lord, I believe that that's good medicine spiritually for all of us. That there just needs to be a a regular path worn to the throne of grace. But I also want to pray for those that are here tonight that may need to respond to the Lord in a, in a way that would invite Jesus into their life. And as your heads are bowed, I, I do want to give an opportunity. If you're here tonight 
and you don't know the Lord in a personal way, you've never really embraced this Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, who became sin on your behalf, that you might become the righteousness of God. I'd love to pray for you if the Lord's speaking to you and your heart wants to respond. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need to come back to the Lord, rededicate your life to Him. You've fallen away from the grace of God. Maybe you have gotten off, off into some kind of a religious mindset and you're kind of working out some kind of your own program and, and you realize tonight, Lord, I, I need grace and I want to come and receive a fresh and a new from You and recommit my heart and my life. Maybe you're distant from the Lord. Maybe you're even living in sin or rebellion away from God. But the Lord is speaking to you. And this, this invitation, you realize maybe something tonight that how much He loves you. And how He wants to father you and just be that, that close companion in your life. And He welcomes you. And maybe you want to respond to that tonight and recommit your heart to Him. I'd love to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you need the Lord for the first time or you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you raise your hand wherever you're seated so that I can see it and I'll pray for you? Anybody here tonight? Bless you there in the very back. Amen. Anyone else? Before I pray for this one. The Lord's speaking to you. You want to respond to the Lord. You want to receive that grace, that mercy. You need to rededicate your life to Him. You're distant from Him. Or maybe for the first time, you'll be ready to invite Jesus into your heart. Anyone else before I pray? So, Father, I do thank you for this one heart. The Bible says that all of the angels in heaven rejoice when even one heart repents and turns to the Lord. And, Lord, so for this one life, I pray that you would meet this person with your grace and with your mercy. That they would come with a confidence, not of their own righteousness or religious work, but rather faith in Jesus. Faith and trust in a God that loves them so much and wants to be father to them in a very tender and meaningful way. I pray for them that you would forgive them of their sin and that you would cleanse them by the blood of Jesus and that they would confess and acknowledge their need of you tonight and would receive of your Spirit coming into their heart and changing and transforming them into the new creation, born again in grace and faith in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Let's close in a song of worship and 